0: Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I'm Jeff Smelser, and we are over a minute late getting started here, Um, but we are started. And today we have uh, Chase Byers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania.
1: I got it right. Yeah, you did. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania.
0: And Joe works in Elmira, New York. Uh, We also have in the background today, Drew DeGrado, who has been the kind of the brains behind this whole concept and and uh, got this all started. And early on, he would do all our technical work for us. Um, and then he got busy with some other things and kind of s- turned all of that technical work over to us, which means that various times bad things happen like we come on late because I can't get something figured out. But uh, that was m- my problem today. But he is actually in the background today. So um, you can send a note of thanks to Drew, if you would like. Um, but we do have some uh, some housework to do before we get into the Sermon on the Mount today, right, guys?
1: Yeah, that's right. So we've recently been talking, and we're just curious to know what viewership looks like. Um, we are able to pull statistics to look at what viewership looks like uh, around the country. And we're just interested to find out who is listening and how many people are are actually listening. And so uh, while we do the live feed, we're happy to do that. We realize that we have a low attendance count whenever it's live. and uh, I'm sure if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, like it sounds like the majority of people do. Uh, we do the, this live, and like just looking right now, guys, like on Facebook, mm-hmm. there's one person viewing it, and it's me, and then uh, And then on, on Zoom live right now, it's just the four of us. However, supposedly we have about I think it averaged out over the last year since, uh, since uh, December 2020, about 500, 600 listeners per month. And so we want to know how many of you are real, how many of you are listening, or how many of you are just, you know, there's a, you've hit the button where you're just getting an automatic download. And so, you know, it's been stacking up, but you haven't listened to this podcast in months. And so there's a good chance you're not even hearing me say any of this right now. So here's what we request. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts or any format, can you please go in on the reviews? And don't, you don't have to write us a review, but can you just give us a rating? There's five stars that you can give us up to. Obviously, you do what you see best on that. And I realize it goes from three stars to five stars depending on who's on and who's not on. Um, but... <laughs> I'm offended by that comment, even though you didn't name my name. <laughs> uh, no, you don't have to. Everyone can can read between the lines. But, anyways, please leave that rating because that, what that's going to do for us, if there's really 600 of you listening every month, then next week, whenever I go back to look at the Apple podcast and there's 600 people who have rated the podcast, that tells me you're listening to this. So, I, I know that was a long way to explain that, but we're really trying to figure out how effective this tool is and to figure out how many live listeners. Or within the week listeners we have so uh, if you're listening to us please leave us a rating so that we can gauge and figure out how many actual listeners we have
0: so if you're listening tell us you're listening and if you're not listening say i'm not listening
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah that's right yeah. <laughs> um, okay yeah that was, that was the housekeeping work
0: all right so uh, we appreciate those of you who listen to this uh, Chase says Apple podcast, I guess it's obvious to everybody out there that that means you're listening to it, not live after the fact I don't know. I don't do Apple podcasts. I hardly know what a podcast is, but that's because I'm a boomer, right? You said it
2: <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's get it. into
0: it. let's get into the Sermon on the Mount today. uh where are we and we, you guys were talking ahead of time a little bit about where we are
2: yeah, so uh in our last study a couple of weeks ago. We were in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, and uh, we had discussed the beginning of that, and you have these three different scenarios of not seeking attention or approval from men. One is doing your charitable deeds in verses 1 through 4, the other one is praying in verses 5 through 15, and I believe we're ready for the third item there in verses 16 through 18 of fasting. I think that's where we had ended off.
1: Okay, that sounds good. How about we go ahead and read that? Uh, Let's read verses 16 through 18. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So as Joe already emphasized, there have been two previous examples Jesus gave of these religious acts. And it really is gross, guys, to see this in ourselves or to see this in other churches. Um, Whenever you're using something to glorify God, to worship him for your own pride and for your own arrogance. And Jesus, really, he just takes the mask off here and he shows how hypocritical that is. And so he did it first, like Joe said, with prayer. He's done it with giving, and now he's doing it with uh, fasting. And the reason why uh, fasting, I think, is something we need to talk about, not only because Jesus mentions it, is really because I don't think we practice fasting a whole lot uh, in the churches across this nation. And I do think it's a biblical practice. It's something Jesus clearly, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount, Is this something he expects his people to be doing at some point? And he says, when you're doing this, this is how you are to do it. Um, And so the first thing he points out is some of the really funny things that people do to make it obvious that they're fasting. And so in verse 16, my translation says they're gloomy. uh, They disfigure their faces. What does you all's translation say there? Yeah, disfigure their faces okay
2: sad sad countenance to disfigure their faces which and, is really a very powerful uh expression isn't it
1: yes it is and, and is the idea like they walk in and you know let's say i get on the podcast here and i'm like oh <sighs> <sighs> what are, what are one of you finally gonna ask
2: what, what's what's wrong chase is something yeah. something matter
1: oh joe well i'm sure you know it's thursday I know it's Wednesday, but it's Thursday. And this is when I fast. I fast on Thursdays, Tuesdays and Thursdays, those two days. And I'm just famished. But glory to God. (laughs) (laughs) And you see what I'm saying, though? Like, is that is that the idea here? And we do that not just in fasting, but we do that in other ways where we try to wear our spirituality in a way that other people notice us. Mm -hmm. And fasting in specific, I think Jesus is saying, if you've not eaten, it can lend itself to you looking like you haven't eaten. You know, I, I've seen people and I've been like, wow, I don't, I don't think they've eaten today. Their face is kind of flush, They're, You know what I mean? And so I think Jesus is saying here, instead of playing that up and acting it up so that you're noticed, you need to go wash your face and put oil on your head and, and kind of freshen yourself up so that you're not tempted to try and get that Uh, kind of reaction from people when you are fasting Mm
2: -hmm. yeah the the language that he uses here to appear to men to be fasting uh you know i want to make it really clear that i am spiritually minded i'm sacrificing i'm i'm doing without because i am a a spiritual warrior um and uh, that I'm, i'm calling attention to that then I'm not doing it for God, and so I ought not to expect to have uh, the reward that he describes from God.
0: Yeah, you know, we talked about previously, and we see the phrase again here, in verse 16, they have received their reward. They're, they're, th- that kind of behavior indicates that somebody's really not looking for the reward from God. They're looking for esteem in the eyes of man, and, and that's what they're going to get, but that's it. So, hey, just by the way, technical note here, we've got a real audio imbalance today, at least in, in, as I'm hearing it, there's a great disparity between Chase's volume and Joe's volume. Joe, you're very quiet and Chase is very loud to the point of, of having a lot of static, a lot of buzz. Okay. In, uh, uh, you know, I'll turn that down. Sorry,
1: Chase, if you don't mind, lower your volume because I, you did go a little too high. Oh, okay. All right. So I just lowered it. So we'll, uh, hopefully that's better.
0: And that was the voice of Drew de <laughs> right there. <laughs> okay, so then we get to um verse 19. Are we ready for verse
2: 19?
0: Yeah. Right, I'll read a little bit. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break through and steal. Just pause there. Anything that we have. In, in this earthly life, in the way of possessions or wealth, whether it be gold or silver, whether it be investments in the stock market, or whether it be land, or, or whatever we may own, we can talk about how one investments are better or more secure than the other. But the fact is, all of it goes away eventually, and all of it can go away at, at, at any time. Uh, somebody can steal it a country a country's economic system can completely fail and everybody loses everything all kinds of things can go wrong but he says lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth consume and where thieves do not break through nor steal uh, Peter talks about over in first Peter he talks about an inheritance incorruptible mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to uh, an inheritance or wealth that is corruptible he says in verse uh, 21 for where your treasure is there will your heart be also we'll pause there comments
2: so like these other things that we've been talking about where he says don't do these to be seen by men but we've made note that there that does not mean that it cannot be seen by men um uh, you know we talk about that with prayer sometimes Jesus did pray in front of other people for example so would this be one of those cases where he's saying you know don't lay up treasures on earth does that mean that we can't save anything or is it saying we need to be quite cautious when we do that sort of thing
0: I think he's saying where your heart is is the issue um you know uh you go throughout the Bible and, and you see, go to the ant thou sluggard. And what's the example of the ant? The ant is working hard and preparing for the winter. If I remember the passage yeah, in no, the Proverbs.
1: No boss, no one to tell her what to do.
0: Yeah. Um, you you look at uh, some of Jesus' examples in the parables. And I'll grant that there may be uh, some detail in a parable that is not necessarily um, giving approval to, to a spiritual um um, uh, application. But you think about the, the virgins in Matthew chapter 25 who have prepared for the immediate future by having plenty of olive oil, whereas others didn't. And those who did are, are, are considered to be wise. Now, Jesus' point is not there to saying, be sure you have enough olive oil if you go to wedding. His, his point is to be ready for the Lord's coming. Um, but, and then you read about the parable of the talents and and the one who invested. Uh, Again, I think we have to be careful when we look at some of those things and we can make a mistake if we miss the spiritual application and start drawing too many conclusions, uh, about the literal story. For example, you have the unrighteous steward who is dishonest with his Lord's goods in Luke 16, and he cuts the debt that was owed to his Lord by various, uh, debtors um and and the lord uses that as an illustration about preparing for the future spiritually so i think we have to be careful but throughout the bible there is a theme of of being a good steward and wise use of what we have and uh so so i don't think here in matthew chapter 6 the point is so much that it's wrong to have any savings but where your heart is there is your treasure if your heart is in your material wealth you've got it in the wrong place I'm sure somebody, one of you two guys can make that point better.
2: Well, I'll just add to that by saying, to me, the key word is yourself in verse 19. Do not lay up treasure for yourselves. I'm thinking about the man in Luke 12, the, the, the parable of the certain rich man who, you know, needed to build bigger barns yeah. and his conclusion. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. Um, you know, uh, the verse before that, I will do this. I will store all of my crops and my goods and the emphasis on self. You know, if I'm laying up treasures for myself instead of being rich toward others
1: yeah Yeah. that's right and if one of you mentioned this i was working on something else for a point i'm about to make um just stop me but with the rich young ruler did one of you bring him up i did not okay just thinking about his situation and and thinking about uh him coming to jesus what shall i obtain or what shall i do to obtain eternal life and jesus will say to him that you need to go and sell all that you have and give to the poor Well, there's going to be other people that ask Jesus that same question, but they're not doing the same thing. Um, The key word in Mark 10 is one thing you lack. Uh, That that was what was going on for the rich young ruler. It was identifying the treasure of his heart. And Jesus was saying, you need to give that up. And so that's going to look different for everybody. Um, I did just want to do a share screen real quick. Uh, Jeff, if you can make me a co-host here and I'll, I'll share my screen. But as I, I think about this principle Jesus is reassuring us in, it's like, not, not only does it make no spiritual sense to put your hope in something earthly, uh, it also just makes no physical sense to put your hope in something earthly. And guys, are you familiar with the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky?
0: Absolutely.
1: Do you guys remember when this happened? Or did you know of this happening? Absolutely. Where, where there was this yeah. huge sinkhole. There's a video of yeah. it, too. And yeah. it, It swallowed up and Jeff, I know you're a car guy, so you'll probably know better than I will, but, uh, it swallowed up. I mean, one, two, three, four cars. I can't even imagine how much money, you know, that was. Um, but I just think that's an excellent example of what Jesus is describing. It's like, how many guys treasured this kind of thing? And just in an instant, you know, it can just be gone just like that. And, I think this is just a helpful illustration in, you know, plug in any earthly possession you have to remember, you know, it should not be worth that much to you. Um, and Christians, we can be really guilty of that. We can have a, a favorite hobby or a favorite uh, thing w- we collect. And to the point where we mix up our priorities, um, there's a good brother named Sid Latham who told me a story about a congregation he was working with. And, uh, there was this sister in Christ who had come to church and she probably shouldn't have been driving. I mean, she was older and couldn't see all that well. And as, uh, as she was pulling out of the parking lot, she went to drive out and she clipped the mirror of one of the members like Corvette or something like that, that he had brought to services that night. And she just has no idea. And she's just driving along (laughs) and drives off. And the brother was standing there with some other brothers and he starts freaking out. and He goes, What am I gonna do? And one of the brothers just calmly looked at him and said, You're not gonna do anything. <laughs> because your treasure's not that, and your treasure's not here, and you're not gonna go chase down that poor old widow over <laughs> something like this. But I, I think it was a helpful story because it showed, like, what am I gonna do? And we do that with other earthly possessions we have, our houses as well. And we need to know the Lord is going to provide and our treasure is in heaven. And all of these things are just temporary. And I'm thankful for those moments where the Lord reminds us of that. And he has sent me those reminders at times that I've needed them. Let me tell you. That's a good story. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So maybe
2: making this connection, you know, uh, the idea of covetousness is related to idolatry. Right. according to Paul's writings in Colossians. And so I'm thinking about a passage like Hosea 10, and in verse nine, uh, where they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame. The last part of Hosea 9.10 it says they became an abomination like the thing they loved. You know, uh, we we become what we love. And so if we're if we're not becoming more Christ-like, then that probably means that we're loving something else. And uh, we, we just, th- that's a good warning that uh, where your heart is or, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, we, we need to be cautious that we don't love money and, and desire it, thinking that it is somehow our savior. You know, and people even use that terminology, like, you know, what's gonna save America and, and things like that. And you know, putting our hope in anything other than the Lord for any purpose is uh, misguided.
0: So, then he goes on in this passage, and he says in verse 22, "...the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eyes be single, your whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how great is the darkness!" So I'm sure we've got some different translations um, that may help us with this a little bit. Do, you, do you, either of you have a translation that reads somewhat differently?
1: I, I, have, the K, I have the KJV pulled up just because I, I like that translation for this passage. Um, did your translation call the, the I single,
0: Jeff? Yes. Uh huh. Okay,
1: yeah. excellent. All right, I missed you reading. Were you reading from the ASV?
0: Yep. Well, okay, I, was, so only, I, think... I was kind of reading from the ASV and updating the The language to get rid of the the these and the thousand and the dies a little bit, but yeah,
1: I got it. Yeah, but I, I like I personally like that idea of a single eye. I'll read my translation that's more modern. It says the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? All the modern translations read that way, but I personally like this idea of having a single eye. Uh, The idea is, you know, an eye that is only letting a single thing in uh, that is singularly focused, I guess, is the idea. Um, Then your whole body will be full of light. It's not divided. And um, just looking at my old notes, you're the Greek guy, Jeff. But uh, in Matthew's account, we're looking at the adjective form of this word. But the noun version of this Greek word is used in regard to the word simplicity in 2 Corinthians 1 and 2 Corinthians 11, or sincerity in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. Um, So it's just really interesting. But I I think the idea that this paints for us is that someone who has a single eye has pure motives. They act with a single-minded focus, a focus for God and the treasure in heaven. And that is directly contrasted with evil eye. in the very next verse if thine eye be evil thy whole body shall be full of darkness if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness how great is that darkness and uh, in proverbs 23 it says eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye neither desire thou his dainty meats um you see the impure motives of those with an evil eye and so i wonder if that's what's being contrasted here in these verses
2: and and that idea of uh, singularity versus duplicity, um, you know, this is in a greater context. The, these two verses are not uh, isolated. We've just been talking about money and treasure right before this. We're talking about money and treasure for several verses afterward. So this is in the context of money. And if you think of the word single in verse 22 and then look at verse 24, no one can serve two masters uh i i think that helps us to appreciate the the focus if you will pun intended maybe on verses 22 and 23 um uh, you know your your eye needs to be set on the lord he needs to be your master not the riches not the wealth not the desire for things
1: yep Mm -hmm. and uh i appreciate you pointing out singularity versus duplicity because it's really this whole section Uh, Just looking back over my notes, when I taught this class, uh, I titled the section, you get one choice. Mm -hmm. And that's really what he said. Or sorry, you get two choices and you you have to choose between the two. Like you get this or you get this, you get this or you get this. And I know a lot of people who are like, oh, the Bible's not black and white. You know, there's so many gray areas. Okay, well, then there's moments like this where he makes it pretty clear. These are the two choices you have. You make one or the other. And there are vastly different consequences for the two choices. And and there
2: is no gray area in the scriptures regarding who we're going to serve and and where we're going to be focused. Yeah, that is very clear: slave of sin or slave of righteousness, Romans six, and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking in the flesh by or walking in the spirit; those are your two choices. And uh, I think that's exactly right. So, uh, guys, what beatitude do you all see in this section? Pure? Yeah, that's what I see. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it kind of plays on that, the idea of single the single eye seeing God. Um, I think is what I what I think of with this.
2: Yeah. Might might also throw in blessed those who hunger and thirst. You know, what is it that you're hungry for? Um, and you might be able to tell that by are you working to get that extra thing? Or are you working to pay your bills and 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 help out other people? Um, you know what what are you hungering and thirsting for in your life?
0: I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, just happenstance that he chooses the eye here to make this point. Um, it's all obviously making a spiritual point, but basically we have an expression. What do you have your eyes set on? Set your eyes on this. He's talking about what our goal is, what our aspirations is are. And and as you you made the connection, Joe, leading into the serving two masters kind of thing. An unfocused eye, it, it, you, with one with one on the one hand, you're wanting to serve God, but on the other hand, you have your eyes set on things in this life. And you know what? You can't serve two masters. Yeah, sure. Work hard in this life. Do well. Try to be successful in your job. Ephesians chapter four and verse twenty eight. Um, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor with his, with his hands working that which is good that he may have whereof to give to him that hath need. We're not going to be in a position to help others as we ought if, if we don't take responsibility financially for our own lives. If we, if we work hard, we can put ourselves in a position where we're helping others. But I really have to do all that I do as part of my service to God. And uh, so where's your eye? What, what are you looking at?
2: And even in this text, you have later on in verses 32 and 33, that idea of of setting your eyes. But the Gentiles seek one thing, 32, but seek ye first. And so the idea of looking for continues. uh, That's part of the thread of this chapter.
0: So we've almost really talked about verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold one and despise the other. But just to, to reiterate, this is a simple principle here. You try to serve two different masters. You try to make have two different priorities. At some point, those are going to come into conflict. And then you're going to show who who you're really devoted to or what you're really devoted to.
1: Yep. Verse 25. Uh, Go ahead, Chase. Oh, sorry. And just that last part of verse 24, you cannot serve both God and money. Um, I I think in some ways that verse 24, Jesus adds on because if you're, if you think about being someone who's listening to Jesus saying this, especially by what he's saying in verses 19 and 20 and 21 about riches, you know, I think some would be tempted to think, well, Jesus, you know, I have to work. I have to provide for my family. That's going to take money. And I I don't think Jesus is saying, you know, you have to quit your job and stop providing or anything like that. But kingdom citizens have got to learn to, to stop relying so much on themselves and start relying on the Lord more. And that's the correction they need to make if they're loving money. It's not so much that you have to stop working, but you have to start loving the Lord more uh, than you love money. And so uh, Jesus, I think, is going to deal with some of that tension that I think the, the listeners are having in the next section, because he's going to say, is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing, and, and point out some of those other things. So I don't know. I I, I probably read too much into what Jesus is anticipating the audience to think into these next sections, but perhaps it's this point.
2: I mean, can you almost imagine somebody saying, oh, yes, but I can. Yeah, I I can serve them both. Kind of like, and you mentioned earlier, the rich young ruler, a really good guy. You know, I've kept all these commandments since my youth. I've I've honored father and mother. I've I've never murdered. I've done all of these things. I've, I've avoided all this bad stuff. But he walks away sad at the instructions that are given to him uh, because he was a rich man. He didn't want to give those things up. And so sometimes I think we think, well, I can I can serve God, I can, I can put God first, and but it's really kind of a one A and one B. And, and and no, no, it's not. Um, anything else has to be much less. And so he uses the contrast of love and hate and loyalty and despising. Um uh, that's that's how we need to see my service to God, um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to almost love money or work or pleasure or leisure almost as much as God.
1: Yep. Amen. Well, let's read, uh, let's read to the end of the chapter. I can read this for us. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough, worry, or enough trouble of its own. So, uh, guys, I think we're still in a choice section that Jesus brings us into. You have two choices here. I think he's trying to get us to choose between our providers, Um, which provider is better, which one is going to bring you more stress. And one provider, obviously, is God relying on him as your father. Sorry, that's the choice word Jesus uses here. Relying on God as your provider. What would you guys say the other provider is that Jesus is saying that you can rely on here?
2: I would think self. uh, Yeah. What I'm I'm going to provide for me.
1: Yes. And I think the way I would put it is worry. Worry is a provider. Think about it. If you sit there and worry and worry and worry to the point that you go out and do it, self is right, Joe's right, the boil down itself. But if you worry to the point that you're going to get everything you need, um, that, that works for a lot of people. I mean, you look out into the world and that, that's how they work. Well, I worry myself into doing it and then I get it. Well, that's stressful. That, there is a lot of anxiety that comes behind that way of thinking, about, behind that way of living. And so Jesus is coming along and he said, instead of worrying all the time about everything, rely on your father. Put trust in him. Look at the way that he provides for all these others. How much more so will he provide for you? So, maybe that's just a chase way of thinking of it, but does that kind of make sense?
2: He certainly is including worry in this discussion that, that we just need to put our trust in God, not in ourselves, not try to figure this out um, and, and answer all these equations without God. So uh, we, so we need, the uh,
0: emphasis on, on worry, I think, is good because. In, in the translation I'm looking at, it says, be not anxious. Um, oh, okay. and, and, but I didn't know the difference between being eager and being anxious until my mother-in-law corrected me. Uh, I think I may have said something like I was really anxious for dinner or something like that. But anxious is related to anxiety anxious, A and X. If you're anxious about something and you're using the word correctly, you have anxiety about it. You're worried about it. And so for me to say to my mother-in-law, I'm really anxious for, for the dinner that you fixed. That's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, what I meant was I'm eager. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. What he <laughs> says here is don't be anxious. Don't have anxiety. Don't worry about your life. And there are so many instances in life where we have things looming over us, and it can become paralyzing, and we can just become distraught about something that's impending, an impending doom, so to speak. Um, and, and he says, you know what? Don't be anxious about your life. God takes care of the the, the plants, the flowers, the lilies. He takes care of the birds. He cares more about you. Uh, if you're if you're if you're I is not set on things of this life, if your treasure is not laid up in this life, and what you know is you have an eternal reward, you have God's approval, you have fellowship with God, you have that hope of resurrection, then sure, there's going to be things in this life that we don't enjoy. There are going to be things in this life that cause us trouble and hardship, but we don't have to worry about them because that's not where our heart is.
2: So maybe appreciate- just to clarify for the audience, uh, Jeff's wife is a good cook.
0: Um, yeah, yes, she is. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't even talking. I was talking about my mother-in-law. <laughs> but hey, but no, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed her meals too. So, but what letting- my my point was, my mother-in-law understood the English language better than I did in in, yes. in a number yes. of instances yes. and was correcting Jeff- my misunderstanding of the word.
1: Um, so that's like- a lot. I feel like the first time I heard that story, I heard you say after she explained it to you, you said, I know what I said. Well, no, I- no, 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 no. Oh. That, oh. Is,
0: that is not true. Oh, okay. for all all right. who are hearing this. All right. Well, then so, I just
1: heard the story wrong. All well, right. right. Let me, let well, me bring
0: it
2: back to the text since I uh, got us all. Thank course you. There with Thank you. Um, so, in all honesty, I struggle with this passage because I just feel kind of ashamed and embarrassed. To think, as as wealthy as as we are, that, that this would even, how could this possibly even enter into our minds? You know, um, I, I I I don't worry about there being enough food. I mean, because there's so much, uh, you know. What will we wear? You know, pause for a second and and do a visual image of your closet. You know, um, none of us are like, well, will I have clothes tomorrow? Will I have? No, uh, you know, we, we have 30 shirts to choose from or whatever. It's almost embarrassing to think that somehow this would be a struggle for us. Well, so how do we apply that in such a rich community? I'm thinking if when, when I go to Mozambique, you know, this would be a really relevant passage to say, don't worry about these things. God will take care of you. But when we have so much readily available, what do we do with this? Yeah,
1: yeah Joe, great question. And, and I just, the first phrase always jumps off the pages at me in verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This question slaps America in the face. Mm-hmm. I mean, I realize there's a lot of other industries that are, you know, peaking and are at their height in America but what industries peak more in America than the food industry and the clothing industry. And we worry about it. And it's not even about the clothing itself, like getting clothing, but it's getting like a certain brand or a certain, you know, style. And it is just really sad to see that even in ourselves, when we just put so much stock in those things. And Jesus says, there is way more to life than a shirt, and bacon, and I know that's your favorite joke. <laughs> but uh, I know, but I know but the Joe, bacon Joe, part, yeah. jokes. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I know Joe jokes, but I know he agrees. Is like, man, there's so much more to life than than what you eat and what you wear, and that's what Jesus's point is. And I don't know what his tone was because these are written words for us. But at this point in the sermon, I I picture Jesus getting quiet and going, "Is not life more than food?" and the body more than clothing. And just sitting on that for a second and really like, man, I've worried about both of those sayings so many times in my life, and God has provided it every time. How much time have I wasted worrying?
2: And, and one of the things I think we might be tempted to do is worry how to keep hold of it. Yeah. And, and, and that would be just as foolish of a worry as how somebody who is truly impoverished is worrying about how to get something for us to think about how we're going to hold on to it. Um, it's, this, this, I, to me, this passage really applies, it, particularly in those ways.
1: And also just Jesus's examples are really cool. Like, I don't know if these examples would have been ones I chose, but just going through them in verse 26, he chooses birds of the, of the sky. Um, had they're not sowing or reaping or gathering into barns because the heavenly father is providing for them. Um, in verse uh, 28, he references the wildflowers and verse 29 tying with that, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. And Jesus is using one of these arguments you see all throughout the new Testament where he argues from the lesser to the greater. I mean, if these things are lesser than us, how much more so is God going to bless us who are greater than the animals? uh of course he is of course god is going to take care of us and jesus also holds no punches in the whole sermon he he's been calling people hypocrites in the previous section but did you guys notice what he calls people who worry about these things at the end of verse 30 you have little faith right and that's something jesus will say to his disciples like his his 12 apostles and it's something he's saying to us right now if we're worrying about these things do you not have enough trust in who the, the father is so uh, th- those stand out to me what's what else stands out to you guys here
2: so i'm kind of surprised by verse 34 you okay. know I, I mean we've read it enough that we're used to it but but it almost seems like wait there's there's problems tomorrow uh, you know yeah so so tomorrow's not promised we don't know what is going to be in store tomorrow but that's tomorrow and again, we've already given the, the necessary caveats that that doesn't mean that we live in a frivolous fashion or whatever. There's nothing wrong with uh, having a, something extra stored up, uh, particularly to help for others and so forth. But to me, it's kind of uh, interesting to think about that he's just saying
1: today, you
2: know, who are you going to serve today, mm-hmm. uh, which yep. harkens back to Psalm 95 and other passages as well.
1: Yes, this is a a tremendous text, even outside of its own context, the the principle of taking it one day at a time. I can't do anything about tomorrow. I can make all the plans I want to in the world tomorrow. And uh, I love those days where you make all those plans and they just don't go the way that you expected it to. And it brings us back to just worrying about the moment. What can I do right now for somebody? What can I do for the Lord right now, today? And it really was the idea in verse 27 as well. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? What, what is, how much time are you going to be able to add by worrying? None. Uh, so just worry about today. And that is a reminder I need. Because as, as life marches on, um, at this point, we've told people, oh, I don't even know if I've told you to. Uh, Rebecca is expecting. Rebecca uh, and I are going to have another baby. Wow. So that's, that's exciting. Big announcement yeah. on Bible Quest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, here we are worrying, and I find myself doing it, worrying about things in the future. Um, and Jesus is softly coming back to us and saying, you can't control any of that. You can't add any time to your lifespan. So just do what you can today. It's so yeah. practical
2: yep very good
1: so uh we didn't talk too much about verse 32 we've got a few minutes here for the gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them why do you think jesus brings up the gentiles in this you know
0: we talk a lot about the different gospels matthew mark luke and and even john we talk about the first three synoptics but we, we And, and they, they're so similar, and yet there are differences. And we often talk about in Matthew, it seems there's a Jewish audience especially that's in mind. We talk about all the times that Matthew says it is written. Um, You've heard that it was said all the times that he goes back to what the Jews had known from the Old Testament, what they'd known from their tradition or what they thought they knew from their traditions. Um, there's a great deal of emphasis in in tying Jesus and his identity with the Old Testament in Matthew. In Matthew chapter, um, 18, when Jesus talks about what to do, if your brother sins against you, and he talks about going to him alone. And if he hears you, great. You've gained your brother. If he he doesn't hear you take with you one or two more that every word may be established at the mouth of two or three witnesses. And if he doesn't hear them, bring it before the church. And then he says, if he doesn't hear the church, let him be to thee as the Gentile and the publican, uh, I think in both of these instances, the term Gentile is being used from the Jewish perspective, those who are not of God's people, those who are outside of the covenant relationship with God. Uh, the, the the Gentiles were not the chosen people. They were not the people who were in a covenant relationship with God. And so they're equated with the publicans in Matthew or identified as, a, as with the publicans as a group of people who are sinners who are outside of God's grace. And I think that's the idea here, here in Matthew chapter six. Um, in, in Matthew chapter five, verse 47, talking about how we ought to love if we're gonna be sons of God. He says, even the Gentiles love those who love them or nice to those who are nice to them. So the Gentiles represents those who are not of God's people here. And that's from the Jewish perspective, certainly. And I think that's what he's doing here in Matthew six thirty-two.
1: All right. Excellent. That's that's helpful. And just the last part of that verse, uh, he says, "All these things will be." Oh, sorry. Um, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Th- this just sounds exactly like uh, chapter six, whenever in verse eight, Jesus said, "For your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him." Um,
2: maybe just make a connection there with the the word Gentiles or heathen is used in six seven regarding prayers, excellent. and uh, then he turns around in six eight heavenly father knows you need uh, so maybe seeing that sort of as a uh a, a bookend or a pericope for uh, yeah. this section we, our, our righteousness needs to not only be greater than the the pharisees uh but also we need to make sure that we're not acting like the world
1: yep amen well thanks guys and hey listeners don't Before you do your next thing, please, if you're on Apple Podcasts listening to us right now, as soon as you get done listening, give us a rating so that we know you're listening. Thank you all, and we'll see you all next week.